I speak to you in the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Well, today's gospel seems a bit harsh, grotesque, maybe. Jesus is talking about gouging out your eye, committing adultery, lust, being thrown into prison, and cutting off your own hands. What's going on, Jesus? Perhaps he started this sermon before he had his first cup of coffee. Maybe he had too many cups of coffee. I don't know. Depends on how coffee affects you. No, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. And today's gospel text is part of this really beautiful rhetorical arc of the Sermon on the Mount. And this section is often referred to as the antitheses. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is all love. You remember? That's an easy sermon to preach. The Beatitudes, Jesus is looking at the people who he knows and loves, and he calls them blessed. That's the first part of the art. Jesus names his people that he knows. He sees their faces, and he says, you are blessed, and you are blessed, and you are blessed, and you are blessed, and goes on and on. And then he empowers them. He says, you are light and salt. You are light to shine God's love into the world, and you are salt to bring out the richness of creation. And then in this rhetorical arc, Jesus shifts into the antithesis to say, okay, now I have to speak against what you might think you know. You've heard these commandments and mandates, these religious customs, traditions, moral codes, and I know that they're weighing on you. It's Jesus lived and breathed with these people and knew the faces in the crowd. And he knew the pressures that they faced and the things that weighed on their minds and hearts. So Jesus is speaking against those things. Jesus' whole thing is that he became incarnate in order to offer us a relationship with God a way of living our life that we might know God and encounter God by following Jesus' footsteps, by relating to one another how Jesus relates to us. Jesus gives us this way of seeing in each of us the image of the creator who made us put God's own image in your neighbor, in your friend, in your brother or sister as Jesus calls them in the gospel. So Jesus uses this rhetorical advice where he says, you have heard that it was said in ancient times, but I say to you, what's going on? I might summarize it as saying, you have heard that it was said the law, but I tell you love. You have heard that it was said the moral code, but I say to you, live your life by means of relationship. And when you are in relationship, in loving, authentic, God-centered relationship, you will be in relationship with Christ. You will be restored to God. You will see that heavenly kingdom emerge in that relationship between you and the other person because you are seeing the God in them and they are seeing the God in you. 
Jesus speaks about a number of issues that are facing his crowd. I think there's about eight different times. How are we doing on time? We're going to go through a little deeper on each of these. And uh, how are we doing on time? The Super Bowl is not till 3.30, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Let's see how each of these ones, Jesus was pointing us to a way of relationship rather than a legal code. So the first is quite simple. When you call someone a fool, what are you doing? Who is that person that you're calling a fool? It's a beloved child of God. It's someone who God made and God put God's own image in, and you're calling them a fool. You're cursing them. You're cursing God. You have created separation between you and an image of God that is right in front of you. And isn't that the definition of sin? Separation from God. Anything that we allow to come in between us and God is a sin. And Jesus says that God is in each one of us. So when anything becomes between you and a neighbor, you are sinning. That's why Jesus urges us to be quick to resolve disputes. If you have something against a neighbor, or if a neighbor has hurt you, go quickly. Whether you are the victim or the aggressor, go and resolve the dispute. If you realize you've done someone wrong, go and apologize and say you're sorry. And if you've been hurt, go to the person and let them know, I'm hurt. That's what it means to be an authentic relationship. To not let any scent of rightness or legal righteousness block you from being in an honest relationship with another person. The urgency. Jesus compares it to going to court. Now, I know there's a number of people in here who could probably speak with more authority about the wisdom of settling a case out of court. I don't think Jesus means to offer legal advice. I think Jesus is speaking to this sense of self-righteousness that we can hold on to sometimes. You guys ever feel that way? Some, I know that I'm right. And I know that if I could just prove by the law or by the prayer book or the Bible or whatever it is can prove that I'm right. And we've let that rightness that we love to feel come in the way of relationship. One of the ways I experience this maybe you do too, is uh, not a legal code, but an email thread. Have you ever done this? Let me send you this email I sent to you six days ago in which I clearly said X, Y, and Z. Does that ever help the relationship? Is God in the midst of that relationship? Are we trying to hold on to self-righteousness rather than a relationship with another person in which we will see and encounter God. Again, in the next one, Jesus is speaking about lust. How we view someone as the fulfillment of our desire. We've objectified them. We've reduced this beloved child of God to one thing, one way they can fulfill our need. And I don't think that it stops at lust. Maybe it's seeing someone just because they can offer you a job or donate money to your cause or help you with a favor that you might need. When we reduce others to fulfilling our need, 
we forget all the marvelous gifts that God has implanted in them to reveal God to us and to the world. When your right eye causes you to sin or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It seems really harsh, but if I asked you which of your body parts you loved more than God, it might be harder to answer. That's what Jesus is saying. Is any part of your physical body you love more than God? Would you choose something over God? My friends, there are people in this parish who have had to give up a body part, but they have held tightly to God. And if you get to know them and hear their story, I can guarantee you that you will see something of God in them and their faith and their love that has saw them through those challenges. Jesus speaks harshly about divorce. And this verse has often been cherry-picked and taken out of context, in my opinion, to uh, shame and exploit and extort people who are in harmful or abusive relationships. And it is so wrong because Jesus is pointing to the fact that every relationship is about fulfilling that God image that God has planted in the other person. So if you or someone you know is in such a situation, God is not speaking out against divorce. God is speaking out on behalf of that God image in each of us. And God doesn't want any of us to be a victim of abuse. And God doesn't want any of us to be abusers either. So both people in such a relationship are not honoring the God image. I think when Jesus was talking about divorce, he might have been thinking about his own parents. You remember when Mary became pregnant, she was pledged to Joseph. And Joseph didn't know what to do, and he had full legal right, and the best plan was to quietly dismiss her. But God intervened and reminded Joseph to become, to focus on the relationship rather than the legality. And Joseph chose to honor that relationship and indeed got an encounter with God and creator. Jesus wants you to bet on that, that if you've pledged an oath or made a covenant to take care of someone, to love them, to comfort them, to be with them, honor that oath. Because when you love someone like that, you will see God in that relationship. Lastly, Jesus says to not swear by the sun or the moon or by the hairs on your head. Think this one again is about an overzealousness, a belief in faith in ourself that we have so much power to do things and fix things. And Jesus is telling us, you are enough. You are who you are. You can do your best and that's it. Let go and let the rest be filled by God. Jesus' sermon doesn't end with what we read today. It continues, and the ark gets higher and higher as Jesus raises the bar. 
the rest of this chapter gives us some more memorable lines of Jesus about turning the other cheek, about going the extra mile. And if someone asks you for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. Jesus is constantly raising the bar. Ultimately, in this epic conclusion of this chapter, the last commandment is this. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Really puts it out there. Does Jesus mean that literally? Is Jesus calling us to be perfect? I think what Jesus is trying to set up is a contrast. That if you think being a Christian, following Jesus, means to be a good person, if that's how you choose to follow Jesus, to do the right thing at the right time, well, then you better be as perfect as God. But, if, but Jesus invites us to a different way, a way of relationship, that you can follow Jesus by loving your fellow man or woman and recognizing in them the goodness that God gave to them and gave to you and honoring that by living right relationships. So I want to leave you with this practice, something we've been talking about in our outreach ministries and the vestry and leadership teams. That if God's, we have a mission statement or a vision statement, vision statement, not a mission statement, vision statement here at St. Cross that says we are a community that serves others as a sign of Christ's love. We just got told by Jesus that Christ's love is relational. It's about relationship. How can we be in relationship with the people that we serve, the ministries we have? How can we have a relationship that's authentic and real? If we don't have a relationship when we serve others, then we're serving them out of pity or charity or need. And we're denying ourselves an encounter with God by seeing God in the people that we are with. So if we want to have a relationship with the people we serve, we first have to know them. So we've been encouraging people who partake in our ministries here at St. Cross to reflect on two questions. One, what did you learn about someone else? Two, what did you learn about yourself? If we want to be in relationship with people, we have to get to know them. So if you come to St. Luke's or Laundry Love or Neighbor to Neighbor, I invite you to come with this goal in mind. What did I learn about someone else? Did I learned their name, their age. Did I learn what they like about what we do or what they don't like about what we do? What did I learn when they hang out during the day and the week? What they do when we're not around? Be in relationship with them as Christ is in as Christ is in relationship with you. And second, what did you learn about yourself? When we're in an authentic, meaningful relationship, we allow others to leave their mark on us. We allow others to change us, influence us, reveal something about ourselves to us. We have to serve others in that relational way that they might know something about us that we don't know yet and we might serve and be in relationship in a way that we learn about who we are so every time you participate in a ministry ask yourself this question 
What did I learn about myself through my service today? This is a small practice. It's a very simple thing to do. But it's just those kinds of seeds that Jesus calls us to plant and God promises to give us growth. Amen.